Hello, happy campers. I'm Spike. I am Chris. And we are geeking out, and it is a twofer today. Twofer. Two movies coming out at once. Chris has seen them both. I have no desire. We will be reviewing later on in this episode Barbie. And the, but first, we're doing the nuclear part. We're going to be talking about Oppenheimer, which again is a three-hour movie. <clears throat> I I blame the Lord of the Rings for this because it was Jackson who decided that three hours for each movie was the appropriate amount of movie, and it's just two and a half, three, two and a half, three, two and a half, two and a half, three. <sighs> long-winded people. But honestly, with Oppenheimer, I guess you pretty much have to devote that much time just to try to get the historical story in. But anyway, like I said, this one has actually seen the film, so this one's going to be doing the heavy lifting at first, and I'll give reactions. He's going to try to sell me into watching this movie. No, oh, no, I'm not trying to sell you <laughs> on, on this. Although apparently this is IMAX's big... Everybody wants to see this in IMAX, so. <coughs> Apartment. Mm. Yes, uh, so yes, this will be a twofer. Uh, Barbie will be later, and I'm going to say, if you're planning on going to watch Barbie, please stick around and watch the end of this, because you need to be prepared on what it is you're going to, because Barbie has lied to you. Trust me. You notice I didn't just give away, give that away this time. Like well, I, I figured. Do. I mean, I figured it should be like <clears throat> the biggest grabber right there is that Barbie lied to you because it looks different in trailers. You're like, oh, fun, stupid movie, and it turns out, you know, total. Meanwhile, the, for the real comedy of the week, let's let's let you start talking about uh, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. <clears throat> Oppenheimer. Yes. The movie about the guy who invented the atomic bomb, the Big Bang, well, second Big Bang, um, directed by the wonderful, one of the most best directors, Christopher Nolan, who in my book went from, Steven Spielberg was like number one, and then there was Christopher Nolan, but Christopher Nolan is now number one because Steven Spielberg really hasn't done nothing original in so long. I kind of want that back, but he hasn't done that. But Christopher Nolan, best known for Dunkirk and Interstellar and the Dark Knight trilogy and all these great, great, fantastic movies, has done it again. This is probably the most serious, not uplifting movie as we follow the uh, Oppenheimer himself and his way of thinking, his way of, uh, how would you say, translating from his knowledge to everybody else. Like, there's a lot of science talk in this movie, just so you know. Okay? Now, first of all, before I get into the big thing, I just want to have this huge discussion about the experience that I had going to watch this movie. We went to an IMAX theater and it was so funny because you had people in suits and then you had people in pink so it's like you knew what each one of them was going to go watch so I thought that was really 
funny as heck. I think it's weird that fanboys are dressing up in suits for Oppenheimer because I didn't think I didn't think that uh, Christopher Nolan really had that much cachet left that he had that many fanboys who would dress up. And it's not like people dress up to go to the theater anymore. I mean, this is considered formal wear at a at your typical yeah. movie theater anymore. But mm. yeah, it's it was it's pretty funny. Um, one of the thing is, is that I went with uh, uh, some friends that work at the theater. Some of them were like still like graduating high school and everything. And Young, then humans. I might I might make some of them mad because they we talked about this. And they think it's the best movie they have ever seen in their entire lives. And I will get to that whole thing as well. Also, one of the experiences that I was telling him, I don't know if it was the IMAX part, but I saw a movie trailer that scared the hell out of me. But also, it's something that I've never seen done in my entire life like it really like did something and the audience reaction because that whole theater was packed the audience reaction to the trailer was very like i, I don't know what the, the like shocked basically the the trailer was for the new exorcist movie by the way yes so. uh the new exorcist trailer coming out that uh it was it yeah, it, it terrified everybody in that theater to the point where at the end of the trailer, everybody didn't whisper, but everybody yelled out loud, hell no. <laughs> like they were terrified. That trailer did something. So, yeah, something tells me that that's going to be something to talk about sometime whenever the movie comes out, which I think is in October. But, yeah, I, I think that that's going to be something Definitely, people are going to be... Well, especially since there's this undercurrent going in pop culture right now about the demonic. We discussed this with the review for uh, Sounds of Freedom about how it's becoming more and more blatant what side people are on. They're either good people or they're not. So, as it, there are fewer and fewer people sitting on the fence, movies like this that... Said, I have not seen the trailer personally. The Exorcist, I get with the Catholic consultants because all the movies are supposed to have the priests who do the exorcisms are Catholic, okay, for the most part, because there is a very specific uh, type of priest that the Vatican uh, consecrates for the purpose. So they have to follow very particular things. If I'm with, if I'm making this new Exorcist movie, I'm sitting down with my Sitting down with my uh, Catholic priest who's serving as my advisor, and I'm sitting down with a copy of that uh, film with, from, which had the, the demon in it earlier, and I can't think of its name right now. It wasn't Insidious. Everybody can tell me what it was because I did give that one like five stars because it oh, was. Oh, uh, the one where he's in prison? The prisoner, yes, who is oh, yeah. demonically possessed. So I, I can't think what it is, but I'll, I'll think of it sometime or another. But you're going to see, honestly, this is the 70s all over again. Because it, it really is because you're seeing the exorcist coming back. You're seeing inflation is back. An incompetent Democrat president. You're seeing all this folder all going on in the background. 
sexual stuff everywhere, just openly practiced, heavy drug use. It's, we've seen this before. They're seeing it now. And of course, if you're a student of history, you know what comes next. But I'm not saying Trump <laughs> is the next Reagan, but that's a, that's a political show if I can ever get it edited and out, out there. <laughs> Good luck with that one. Go ahead, Chris. Anyway, so in case you guys, Oppenheimer was like three hours. Barbie, that's a whole other discussion. So I do have notes and stuff that I, I want to head out here. So anyway, yeah, the, the story of how Oppenheimer uh, created the atom bomb, the, 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 his ideas, and this movie is kind of like a documentary, except there's no narration. There was like nobody like talking over saying now he discussed this or something like that. And it was like to that point where it shows him getting the land, being like this is the perfect place. All the people he's involved with, which there's this huge conspiracy about like communism and like he was his mistress was a commie and and his wife was like friends with commies and he was you know, and that ends up being a big part because he's being questioned toward the end of the movie. So it's like telling everybody's story of how they met him and how he got to be where he is. Uh, which follows with, like, huge historical facts that they do not teach you in school. Like... I had no idea like how much of Einstein was actually going to be in this movie. He is in this movie quite a lot. Yeah, because he is instrumental in the development. And there's a moment where Oppenheimer is like discussing, like you know, he uh, Einstein's old school. People don't think like that nowadays. But yet he keeps going to Einstein to like for like a little bit of advice and and like questioning his own work. And it's just, it's the whole political side as well, because there's a bunch of twists and turns that you did not see coming. Because I know I, me and my friends were pretty much sitting there like, wow, okay. <laughs> it's like, he's, it was a whole setup. If you know anything about the history part, then you're going to know a whole lot about everything. Because this movie does a good job of explaining all of it from the affair from the inside part of the political side his how his mind works how uh, his communication with other people and how they also is part of this huge ordeal the acting in this movie mwah, every single body every every person Oppenheimer being played by Colin Murphy um, did a fantastic job. He's always been a really good a uh, actor. He's been in several movies, especially uh, Nolan films. Like he played the Scarecrow in the Batman films. He was, um, uh, oh, what is that? <laughs> what was the other Nolan movie? movie? Was he? I, I well, Inception. Anyway. Yeah. Yes, Inception. Yeah. And I think one of my favorite movies he's ever been in, which if you've never seen, is Red Eye. It's so like a mystery, like a, a Hitchcock film. 
He is fantastic in that movie. You have Robert Downey Jr. in this movie playing uh, Louis Strauss, um, who went, who, like, he, how do I explain this guy? He's, he's a puppeteer. And you'll find out because, like, there's a there's some twists and turns that Oppenheimer is like literally jumping through hoops, but it turns out it's all been planned by this guy who tricked so many people and pointing fingers at Oppenheimer when it turns out that he was actually the one that was pulling the strings the entire time. And it's just a huge twist and, and you're just like, wait, when did this all happen? <laughs> So it's across the board. It's it's really good. You we also have Matt Damon in this movie playing Leslie uh, Gross. Like I said that name right. And it was just very his role in this movie is straight and narrow. Like he's on a mission. He works for the government. He's like, listen, I need you to do this. These are the rules you need to go by. And every time they break the rule, he's in there yelling at them. But he's also secretly the friend who also protects them as well. So, you have that. Also, there is, when it comes to the acting, there is, this movie is packed full of famous, fantastic actors that I haven't seen in so long. Josh Hartnett is in this movie, and I almost didn't recognize him, but I was like, who is that guy? And then I'm like, wait a minute, that's the Pearl Harbor dude. That's that's the dude from that movie and that movie, and I'm just like, what? Uh, I can't remember the other actor's name, but he's better known for playing like in uh, uh, Harold and Kumar movies, and uh, uh, he, he's also more famous for playing Bernard in the Santa Claus films. He's in this movie, and he was totally unrecognizable until you heard his voice. And it's like, whoa, hold on. <laughs> we also have a, a brief moment from uh, Gary Ullman, who plays Truman in the movie. And there's this really crazy scene after the bomb, after the bombing in Japan and all that stuff. And he's meeting Truman. And again, it really gets to the dark side of the political stuff. But he's there meeting Truman, and Oppenheimer's like, I feel like I got blood on my hands. And Truman just reaches for a napkin out of his pocket and hands it to him. And he's like, do you think Japan cares who created the bomb? No. All they care is about who dropped the bomb. I dropped the bomb. Nobody gives a damn about you. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, <laughs> okay. It's, it's, it's very, this movie is unsettling if you don't know the political aspect of everything that goes on behind everything. And I think the way they did that was very well done. It, this movie is very cinematically amazing it really is it's it's very cinematically amazing this movie you will have an experience and you're not going to walk out of there happy you're not going to walk out of there uh excited you're just going to walk out of there going like 
okay, yeah. Uh, now you know. Yeah, it's like, wow, all right. Um, and there's just so much of that, like again, the history, the cinematic. It's very fantastic. But now for the bad things about the movie, I would say one, the movie is three hours long. So there's that. <laughs> You're going to be sitting there for a while. So make sure you go use the bathroom. Make sure you get some snacks, even if you're not hungry. You know, be prepared. I'm going to say something. If we are going to continue to get 150 and 180 and 200-minute movies, you're going to have to start programming intermissions. And not just because people have short attention spans, but because mm -hmm. people are... People are going in with big boxes of fiber-filled popcorn and big old drinks and stuff. They're going to need to leave once in a while. Yeah. So, and especially a film like Oppenheimer where there's just so much information. And it, it, it can kind of start squeezing out your ears after a while. That's one of the risks of a historical biopic. Yeah. Especially for Oppenheimer where there's that many moving parts. Yeah, there's, there's so much because it talks about the people that built the, the, even the metal thing that goes around the bomb, you know, the person who built the big tower to put the bomb in, which it was uh, Oppenheimer's brother that did it, um, the land that they had to uh, buy, well, borrow from the Indians, and he was going to give it back to the Indians, but then the government's like, no, we're going to keep using this, and, you know, like, there's, there's so much there that you, you're going to have a huge history lesson on something that you never thought that you needed to know, but you're kind of glad that you know. You're also going to, you're also going to find out why, even though that there is nuclear weapons out there, but why nobody uses them. They may threaten that they're going to use them, but why they're never going to use them. <laughs> There is one scene from the trailer that was out about uh, Oppenheimer explaining how a nuclear reaction occurs. And, and the guy he's talking to said, so you're saying there's a chance that we detonate this thing and it sets off all the other atoms on the planet and just causes the whole planet to explode? He says, well, it's not a non-zero chance. They had no idea what they were dealing with. And, yeah. and I'm sure Einstein knew what he was dealing with. This is the type of this is the type of film that becomes a landmark because uh, Spielberg had this moment when he did Schindler's List. Nobody knew who Schindler was until they made that film, and then he that made him a household name. Did you know that Schindler still makes elevators today? That's what Schindler does. They make elevators and escalators. Hmm. So if the next time you're in an elevator, look to see if it says Schindler on there somewhere. It's the same company. Wow. So he, he was involved in the motor works. So it's Oppenheimer. Like I said, I haven't actually seen the film, but it is a fascinating story. And it has so many moving parts that, yeah, I can understand what would be three hours just to be able to tell the story. But, yeah, you guys are going to have to start uh, the logistics on these things of providing an intermission if you're going to keep going along like that. But uh, it's, it's the type of story that needs to be told. And as you, you were talking about giving the land back to the Indians, 
that was one of the rare times when the government actually made a good decision on that because nobody understood the radioactive. Nobody understood radioactivity the way they do now. Yeah, like just they didn't how persistent that at that time. Is. But like there's later a, on, there's a reason environmentalists scream whenever anybody mentions nuclear power because of the nuclear waste. But nuclear radiation from fallout. I mean, with nuclear waste. It comes into a little spot about the size of a 55-gallon drum and needs to be buried a couple of miles under the earth. Nowhere near any kind of moisture or groundwater or anything like that. And it just needs to be separated and removed. As the people at Chernobyl found out about nuclear fallout, yeah. that stuff gets everywhere. And we, don't, we didn't know about it then. We know about it now because of what they did then. Thank your. We should all thank our lucky stars. They didn't actually try to test try to test the uh, the bomb in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, which is where the original project was. De- That's where the heavy lifting for the project was done. They did the the build and the deployment out in in Nevada, but it was uh, it was Oak Ridge, Tennessee, where Project Operation Manhattan was located, or Project Manhattan. Which they mentioned that. And stuff. Yes, they mentioned that, and actually. When I was a kid, um, I went on a school trip and we went there. None of us had any idea that Oak Ridge had anything to do with the nuclear bomb until we got there. Because it never got covered in the history books. Everybody's talking about the... The big boom. The, yeah, the nuclear tests out in Nevada or in, and out in the Pacific Ocean and kind of use a, a low-level one in the, uh, in the aftermath opening. But it's the... Uh, it's just something we didn't know about then. We know about it now, and just like people don't know who, who Oppenheimer was until this movie came out, I never saw the idea, I never even saw the concept of Oppenheimer groupies. But hey, <laughs> hey, hey if, there's, if that means there's going to be a lot of kids dressing better this Halloween, I'm, I'm for it, so... Uh, so, let's go to the rule of five on this one, Chris, because we're 20 minutes into this. Five is full price on Saturday night with a date, and zero means not even drunk. Where would you put this, Mr. Five O'Clock? All right, so this is where my friends are probably going to be mad at me, because they walked out of this movie going like, wow, this is like the best movie I've ever seen, <laughs> and everything. And I understand that. This movie is really good. This movie is beautifully done, very cinematic piece of art. If this movie does not win Best Picture of the Year next year, I, I, I there's it's some, award bait as well. Like this is this, this is definitely going to win something. Has to. However, I got this thing where there are certain movies that are really really good, but they're only worth watching once. As Schindler's List is one of those movies. Schindler's mm-hmm. List, like I love that I watched it. It's a really good movie. Will I ever go back and watch it? No. This is one of those where I will never go back to watch this movie because I've seen it once. It's good. I know how it made me feel. I will never go back and relive this. So this film is not going to have legs at the box office, you're saying? Oh, no. It's going to have big legs. It's going to have stocky, strong legs. It's going to stand on its own. Like right now, the two big movies that everybody was looking forward to this summer is Oppenheimer and Barbie. Barbie lied. I'll get to that on the next one. We'll get that in a minute. But 
this is like, you know, this is upper and it is getting big talk and everybody's loving this movie. Nobody said nothing bad about it. So this, this movie is, is definitely very cinematic. I keep using cinematic because it's one of those that is like very rare films to where this is what like the acting amazing everything the way it was shot amazing like everything so yeah um i will say a five because it is you need to see this movie this is it would it lose anything on imax if it comes out of imax if you see it on a regular screen you think? no no one of the things that was okay it's a small thing that i had an issue with because I was, this is like the first time in an IMAX theater to watch something like this. Due to the fact that Christopher Nolan does things practical, they did not do, like when the bomb went off, they didn't do the whole gigantic mushroom cloud. It was up there in the fire. The fire, like it, looked, it did look like the screen was on fire. But it didn't do the whole gigantic, you know, mushroom cloud mm -hmm. thing. Which, I, I got to admit, I was a little let down. I was like, that's probably like the one time that I kind of wished he would have used CGI just to, you know, show it. Well, there is a lot of, of publicly available footage. And yeah, thing is, it's publicly available footage. People have seen the mushroom clouds that yeah. go off from nuclear bombs before. Very, very rarely do you see nuclear hellfire up close. Because, honestly, the... You know what movie I think I can remember seeing a nuclear fire in? Terminator 2. Uh-oh. When she's when Sarah Connor has her hands on the on the oh, yeah. playground uh, and it doesn't even get that graphic. It doesn't no. show that. No, it just shows the fire. Yeah. So it, it's a different way of of experiencing what a nuclear bomb would look like. This is what people saw. This is the last thing they saw approaching them. Because you still have Hiroshima shadows in yeah. Japan, where people just, you know, almost like a, a, a photo negative, they just were erased and their carbon atoms were infused into the wall behind them. That's that's how intense the fire gets. Yeah, it was, yeah, I, I think you can watch this on a regular, even on DVD, and still have that experience. It was more about the storytelling. And how well it was made. So yeah, I mean, it, it's it's definitely an experience you should experience once. Yeah, you you're not gonna be able to put up with it a second time, most likely. No. The uh, the nice th the thing I I like about films like this catching on is that it makes people think and it starts putting ideas into their heads. There's going to be it, this was the biggest problem with Oppenheimer is that Oppenheimer has always been seen as one of the villains in this story, okay? Now, uh, Einstein was way too photogenic for, way too photogenic for uh, the average person to vilify him, but Oppenheimer made a nice, uh, convenient villain. So that's why, part of the reason why Christopher Nolan went with him, because everybody thinks of Einstein as being this warm, fuzzy guy with the frizzy hair and the and talks in the German accent and stuff, and but they don't realize Oppenheimer did a lot of the heavy lifting on this project. So a chance to rehabilitate his character. Glad to see that. And uh, 
honestly, if if I get around to watching this movie, it probably would be on a smaller screen. Yeah, I mean, just small doses. And small doses where I can stop and go up and go to the bathroom and then come back and try to finish watching it. But, but then again, I'm the guy who still watches History Channel. So, so yeah, Oppenheimer's for me. So Chris gives it five out of five, recommended by Geeking Out. Yeah, yeah definitely. Now, let's flip that coin over and let's look at the plastic, elastic, totally elastic world of Babs, Barbie and her, her, her crotchless friend. Oh, boy. Now, Chris has already intimated that he considers this a form of false advertising. It is. This is Warner Brothers. I think this will be Warner Brothers response to all the Disney Trek that's been coming out because this this one are like hey we can do that garbage too but go ahead Chris walk them through it all right so let me tell you why Barbie has lied to you I saw this trailer and it totally made me want to go watch this movie because I believe that this was just going to be a fun goofy summer movie not going to take itself serious. Just a fun watch. Um, kind of like the Lego movie was, where it didn't really take itself too seriously. Yeah. And, and actually integrated the core concept of the toy into into the movie, which this movie which also did does. so better. Which, which this movie also did, but in a different way. So, go ahead. So, this movie definitely lied to everybody, which is why it is number one at the box office right now, because... They thought that, well, I thought, and now people who saw it are coming out going, that is not what I expected. Um, this movie is not for kids. This movie this movie is not demographic to anybody. I don't know who it's demographic for, but it's like, I don't know what, what's going on. The trailer... I'll, I'll makes, tell you the target audience later. The, the trailer makes it seem like it's going to be this fun film. So it's like there's this thing called Barbieheimer right now where it's like people will watch Oppenheimer, be depressed, and then go into Barbie and be like, you know. And See, all that I, I think it would have been called Opie because oh, Oppenheimer, well, Barbie, Opie, you know. Well, actually, they can't do that because in the movie Oppenheimer, that's what everybody called Oppenheimer, Opie. Well, no, wait, Oppie is what they called it. So, yeah. I guess kind yeah. of. Okay. Anyways, um, so yeah, if they put what was in the movie in the trailer, this movie would not. Nobody would go see this movie. So time, time for the honest trailer crew to come out. So, all right, I'm going to so tell fun. you the, the 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 plot detail. Okay. So, uh, imagine our world. And in our world, there is a magical world that nobody really knows about called Barbie World. Okay? And in Barbie World, you know, everything's perfect. Everything's the same. Uh, you know, it's all colorful, pink. And, like, there's all, every Barbie that was ever made. By the way, it does discuss the history of Barbie. And it talks about... Which I thought I thought was really awesome. It talks about how 
the, all the defective Barbies, they exist in this world. The, the Barbies that got shelved because of controversy, like pregnant Barbie. Uh, you know, they're, they're, so it, it discusses the entire thing in this movie in a very comical way. So Barbie wakes up and does the same thing over and over again. And played by Margot Robbie, by the way. Wonderful actress. Um, best known for Harley Quinn. Um, she wakes up one day and is like, starts thinking about death. <laughs> yeah, she's like, you know, does anybody think about dying? And everybody's like, well, I know. I know somebody at Mattel is thinking about the franchise being killed. But go ahead. Yeah, pretty much. Now, actually, funny that you say that. There's actually a scene in the movie where they like, you know, maybe we should just kill her off. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, so Barbie is feeling weird. She doesn't know why she feels this weird, and she tells her friends, and her friends tell her to go see the the crazy Barbie, which is basically representing the Barbie that all the kids ended up torturing, like setting on fire and all that stuff. Played by Kate McKinnon, who did an awesome job, by the way. She's always been funny. It's just the material that usually is given to her, like the all-female Ghostbusters movie. It's like she was funny in, but the, the rest of the movie just did not follow. This is kind of one of those things. Um... But anyway, she tells Barbie, hey, you need to know about the real world. Now, by the way, the, Bar the Barbies in this world, they know about the real world. They just don't ever go there. So Barbie goes off because she, she, uh, there's, I'm going to try to explain this without confusing you. Apparently, the reason why Barbie is feeling this way is because Somewhere out there in our world, there is a girl playing with her, but her emotions is changing. So she's feeling everything that the person who's playing with her feels. They don't really clarify too much on what the heck is going on there, because that really makes no sense at all. Because if you stop and think about it, if that's true, then imagine all the other Barbies being totally ripped apart, set on fire, destroyed, all that stuff, you know. I don't know. It's it's really confusing. So anyway, her and Ken, played by Ryan Gosling, who is, you would think that Barbie and Ken are were supposed to be like, you know, boyfriend and girlfriend. They're not. It's more like Ken's obsessed, is obsessed with Barbie, but Barbie doesn't want nothing to do with Ken type of deal. But anyway, they take an adventure, go to the real world, so she can find this girl and try to help her. Well, they get to the real world, and <laughs> they find out all kinds of, yeah, I know. They, they find out all kinds of things, like, like Ken decides to run off on his own and discovers that he's being seen instead of being non-seen. And that in this world, because Barbie world is, all the Barbies rule the world. 
in this world, men sort of rule the world. I'm using air quotes there because I've never understood, you know, much of that. And we'll get to that here in a moment. So Ken finds out all this stuff. So he takes all this knowledge that he gets and he leaves Barbie in the real world, goes back to Barbie world to share his experience that in our world, men rule the world. So he goes back, turns Barbie world upside down, and now all the kin are ruler of what used to be Barbie world. Barbie, stuck in our world, ends up finding the girl that she saw in her vision. And she is a teenage mess who basically is like, Barbies are stupid. You're, you're a, a fascist. You're this, you're that, and, you know, makes Barbie cry, Barbie cries, leaves. FBI contacts, uh, what's the company, uh, Mattel? Mm -hmm. Contacts Mattel and says, hey, you got two Barbies escaped and is now in our world. You need to do something about it. So they all start freaking out. They hunt, they hunt Barbie down. How they find her, I don't know, but they find her real quick. Look in the plot hole, probably. Yeah, there's... Uh, find Barbie and they tell her like listen you know you need to go back home and all that stuff and she's like you know okay <laughs> so so all this turns out the girl that she was seeing in her vision was not the girl but it was the girl's mother who is now having who works at Mattel and has been this is the most stupidest stuff ever, okay? So the mother is kind of suicidal, okay? She's thinking about death a lot. So she's been creating her own Barbie that thinks about death, okay? Kid you not. So that's why Barbie's feeling this way. So the girl and the, the woman and the daughter goes back gets Barbie, escapes from Mattel's clutches, goes back to Barbie land, finds out that Ken has taken over the world, and, yeah. Fixes so, everything. Ken ends up being the villain of this movie, by the way. No fooling. So, that's, that's the plot, okay? First of all, her trying to fix the woman and 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 also the woman and the daughter's relationship solved just like that. No problem at all. It was solved. That's not the plot of the story. It was the more of Ken is bad, all that stuff. Okay. This movie, the whole movie through, there has been men bashing. This movie is sexist. This movie is a feminist. And I, I kid you not, men are rule of the world. Men are bad. Men are bad. Men are bad. And men are bad. That was all the way through this movie. All the way through this movie. Nonstop. For example, as soon as they get to the real world, they're on Venice Beach, right? And everybody's looking at them. And she's like, why is everybody looking at me? It's weird. And this guy in broad, in, in broad daylight, in front of her, what, 
should be her boyfriend, comes up and slaps her on the butt. Like, that doesn't actually happen. It doesn't happen. It didn't happen back in the 60s unless somebody could slug the guy for doing it. But. Well, he got slugged by her, and yeah. they got arrested. But still, nobody does that. The political message, the kin, here's the thing. They even discuss, okay, okay, okay. I got this. The political messages in this movie, they don't know what they're doing because every uh, political message that they're trying to say crosses over. It re, uh, it, 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 like, you don't know what they're trying to say. Like, like for instance, when they get to the real world, they come across a bunch of construction guys. You see where this is going. So they cat call, right? So Barbie's like, I don't know what you guys are assuming, but just so you know, I'm not a woman. I don't have a vagina. And this is Ken. He's not he's not a real man either. He doesn't have a penis. And they go from cat calling to like, well, that's okay. Like so these guys are supposed to be sexist, but then they turn around and say, "Oh, it's okay. What well, you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter if you're you know opposite of sex or whatever." It's like, what's the message you're trying to send here? That makes no sense. It's like if you're going to have these guys be the bad guys because they're they're catcalling you, but then turn around and say, "Oh, we're okay if you're not gender," you know, because that's what it felt like. You know, that that's literally what it felt like. And it happens again throughout the movie. It's like when the kin take over, there's, there's a woman that's like, I'm so glad I don't have to make any decisions now. I'm so glad that, you know, I don't have to take on these responsibilities. But then turns around and is like, you know what? We, we rule the world. Women rule the world. We need to, you know. And it's like, what, what are you trying to say here? Like, your, your messages are mixed. It's like, what side are you actually on? Because it's like you're going on this side strongly, but yet you don't want to upset the people on the other side, so you also want to add this part. Because there's a part where Ken breaks down to Barbie, and it's like, I just wanted to be seen. It's like, it's not fair that we're not seen. And... She's like, and Barbie's like, you know, I, I never really noticed that, you know, you felt this way. They even discuss it when they're looking at the map of Barbie land. It's like every, like the little girl's like, so each house, so each Barbie has a house. She's like, yeah. And she's like, well, where does the kin live? And she's like, you know what? You're right. Where do they sleep? And it's like, Hello? <laughs> exactly like that's like hello you know there's there's it is like and I, I i really kid you not the political message is literally men are bad men are horrible women can rule the world without men kid you not now with that being said what, the mother in the movie is played by America Ferreira, um, who's also best known for her feminist, pretty much. 
She has this big speech in the movie. Okay? Now I'm going to read you the speech. Because I did write this down. Okay? Okay. It is impossible to be a woman. You have to be thin. And you can say you want to be thin. But you have to say you want to be healthy. But also being thin. You have to have money, but not ask for money. Because that's uh, crass. I don't know what crass means. But I don't know. Um, you have to be boss, but be mean. You have to lead. But you can't squash other people's ideas. You're supposed to be a mother, but don't talk about your kids all the damn time. I'm just so tired of watching myself and every single other woman tie ourselves into knots so people will like us. I just threw it away. That's the big speech that she has in this movie. Now, I'm not, now here's the thing. I'm a man. I So, me giving this review and talking about how they hate men in this movie is honestly, take it to, for a grain of salt, I guess. Because, again, I'm a man. I'm not a feminist. I do believe in equal rights and equal pay. But... I don't believe that, you know, women don't, women get treated as bad as what I, as what they seem to make it. Okay. I, I, I know that sounds bad. I, I apologize. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm, again, I'm not a woman. I've just seen so many strong females out there. I don't know how any other woman could actually say that. Anyways. The things that happen in this movie is also so damn depressing. Again, there is a lot of death talk. A lot of suicidal talk. The mother literally said, well, the daughter's like, how can you do this? And the mother's like, listen, you hate me. I think about death all the time and all of this stuff. And the daughter says, I can't, I hope nobody from school sees me riding around with Barbie. Like, did you just hear what your mother literally just said? Like, your mom needs help. She needs help. But they act like thinking about death is literally just, it's okay. Like, it's fine. You're still cool. Like, like it should be normal to think about death so much. Because they do think about death a lot in this movie. And it's really freaky. There is, like, Barbie herself, again, you go in to see this movie and you're hoping to have some, like, high hopes and feel-good moments. But Barbie literally is just a depressing dump fire in this movie to where she's just depressed, she's thinking about death, and she's just like, I'm not beautiful enough and all that stuff. And 
it's hard to be me. It's hard to be a woman. And because she's fed all this crap by America Ferreira's part. And that's like, what? what? Like, okay, you all need to calm down. You guys, like, I don't know. It might be your time of the month or something, you know? And, and I know I want to get held by women, but you know what? I don't give a damn at this moment. For the record. In time. That was not me for once. I don't that. care. I don't you care. Know. This movie, what were you doing? Kid, you do not take your kids to go see this movie because it is not what you think. And that's the thing. The, the good parts, the, the parts that make you say, hey, this looks like a fun movie, is in the trailer. Until you watch it and you're like, what the hell is going on here? Now, with all that being said, <laughs> uh, there's so much more I can say. <clears throat> but, with all that being said, all the actors in this movie is actually really good. I will say that. The actors in this movie is really good. The story's not. The thing that was the best parts of this movie is Crazy Barbie, played by Kate McKinnon. She really did that very well. And she was the fun part. The Kins, not just one Ken, Ryan Gosling's Ken. He did a good job, by the way. By the way, I don't like Ryan Gosling because I always had this thing where he never shows emotion. In this movie, he was having a fun time. He was smiling ear to ear. He actually, he actually made me chuckle. He was the only thing that made me chuckle so far in this movie, other than crazy Barbie. Can't always smile. So. No. But it wasn't just him. It was all the Kins. All the Kins were hilarious. Like, they were so hilarious. There's a, there's a huge battle where the girls try to get down to, to fight other kins. So they do this whole uh, beach battle thing that turns into a big dance number. And it was just so funny. It was like the kins and Crazy Barbie are the ones that stowed this movie for me. Because I had fun watching them. The rest of it, ah. Oof. Oof. There was nothing funny about any of that. It was just depressing. I'm thinking this is a, Barbie was a satire of feminism. If so, they were a little too effective because people people are just having their buttons pushed, just like a keyboard. You just sit here with a keyboard, push, 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 push. You can tell because he's been triggered. Chris was actually triggered by this film. I could tell it when he first started this, and and it's just going on right now. I can tell you've been triggered because you are just, you have this visceral reaction to it. It's like, what are these people doing? This is just wrong. This is, I'm actually upset about this. Not to the point where you go full negative one, want your money back, but enough that you can, that you realize this is just, this is just not right. And that's, that can be the great failure of satire. It's the problem that Dante had with, and, and I am not comparing the Barbie movie with Dante's Inferno. Dante missed the mark because people took his book as a commentary on what hell is actually like and started incorporating it into the faith. Little pieces of it, anyway. This is a clown world work of what feminism looks like. And so the idea is you see the left get triggered constantly by film, by television, by just 
middling little piddling little mistakes here and there, things that offend them, little microaggressions. This one, there's no microaggressions in the Barbie movie. It is full-blown whack-a-mole, nailing everybody's buttons to try to get a reaction, which they did that will wind up dooming the movie. And then again, maybe I'm full of crap. Maybe I'm reading too much into this. Maybe the director is an idiot and the writers and everybody involved. It certainly happened before. Again, Ghostbusters 2016. But I'm saying there might be a little bit more to this that meets the eye, and only time will tell. So well, that's, that's what I'm thinking. Like, maybe I am going a little bit, maybe I am overthinking it, but it just feels like, like, I left the movie feeling bad to be a man. And and it just like it and that's, again that's what makes me big satire yeah and the messages are just so cross so maybe you're right because it's like it's like men rule the world but then at the same time it's like well maybe they don't and it's like where are you going with this message you know mm-hmm. even like when she goes to Mattel and she's like wait all the guys are the ones that is running Barbie and it's like well no don't I don't want you to think that we're sexist <coughs> I don't want you to think that we're sexist because there has been a woman that had, was in charge of the board a long time ago. Yeah, she was the creator of Barbie. And and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, I mean, it's like, you know. So, yeah. it's like, okay, so which, one, like, which way are you going? It's almost like you're, you're preaching this way. You're mainly preaching this way, but I don't want to offend anybody over here. So, I'm going to add a little bit of, like, right. you know. You're, you're, you're missing the mark. And that, that's why I'm saying this is not an effect. This is a satire that's effective in some ways and ineffective in other ways. You're triggering your audience. Honestly, you meant to, and it just shows poor judgment on your part. So let's go ahead and wrap this because we've got technical issues haunting this thing. Somebody online does not want us talking about the Barbie movie, especially, and it especially started once I, once I started talking about the uh, satire aspect of this. <laughs> So Chris gives it two and a half. I'm going to pass judgment on it because I think there's more to Barbie than you think. But odds are, if the online heathens have their way, which they usually do, this is going to shut down. You're going to see a huge collapse on this. Just bear me out and keep in mind, there may be more to this than meets the eye. So let's wrap this. Let's just go ahead and say goodbye before before my camera quits again. I'm Spike. I'm Chris. And we'll y'all keep on geeking out. Bye. Salut.